Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I'm going to look like an idiot this episode. I usually only sound like one, but I'm going to look like one this episode because I'm wearing an oversized jersey. But it's worth it because these Grand Rapids Flying Toasters jerseys are absolutely unreal. They go hard. <laughs> we were we were talking to someone we were interviewing, and you'll hear that over the All-Star break, but we were saying like the the juxtaposition between these giant hockey players who are trying to punch you in the face, and they're also wearing these baby blue jerseys with flying toasters on them is absolutely hysterical i can't even believe a professional hockey team did this but i'm so glad they did there's there's a lot of good like giveaways and theme nights and promotions across the nhl but the ahl does it different and grand rapids is like top tier they a hundred percent leaned into it because they changed the little you know it says like home and away at, on the scoreboard they changed it change it to toasters versus belleville yeah they call themselves Toaster Nation. <laughs> fly it was Toasters just, Fly. <laughs> yeah, Fly Toasters Fly. Just a master class in, in leaning into the uh, ridiculousness of it all. Yeah, it was a great weekend to be there, I'll tell you that. And while we were in Grand Rapids, Detroit had themselves a great little stretch there. And uh, that's the only Detroit sport we're going to talk about is the Red Wings because I don't really feel like crying on the Winged Wheel podcast right now. Brad, I will say the only thing I'll say about it is I commend you because you have shown up to this podcast multiple times after a devastating Bills loss and you've actually kept your composure. I think I texted you, when does the hurting stop? And what was your answer? I said, I'll let you know, haven't got there yet, going on 36 years now. (laughs) Thank goodness for hockey in Detroit and Grand Rapids because that's going to keep us going today. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey. Grand Rapids Flying Toasters Hockey, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we have a lot to talk to you about. Detroit played two games, two wins for them, one against Philadelphia and one against Vegas, two presumptive playoff teams or playoff competitive teams. Uh, additionally, there's a ton of storylines in there from Larkin to Cop to you know Raymond and everyone else. Uh, really, really eventful games, line as well. Uh, We'll give you some updates on Patrick Kane, uh, Detroit's upcoming schedule before the All-Star break. Uh, We're going to have a conversation about Mo Sider because that became a topic leading into the weekend and uh, one that I'm pretty passionate about and uh, some other Red Wings players. We'll give you a recap of Winged Wheel Podcast Night with the Grand Rapids Griffins, not just talking about ourselves, but talking about the two games that we saw, the takeaways on the Griffins players from that weekend, uh, some of the highlights, including Simon Edvinson, the goon, getting into a scrap thanks to Jonathan Berggren. And uh, Edmondson and Beargren were hilarious in the room after, so we'll let you know what happened there. And then news from across the NHL. Uh, Gallagher had a one of the most suspendable hits I've ever seen. And then, believe it or not, the Department of Player Safety, in, in our opinion, botched that one. So we'll be talking about that and more from across the NHL before overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know that Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, the second one of the season, is on Saturday, March 2nd. It's our last Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA of the season, and it's going to be a great game. It's the Florida Panthers rematch game, uh, so big divisional 
rivalry, big playoff implications as they play in Atlantic Foe. What Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is, is a partnered event between us and the Detroit Red Wings where you get tickets not only to the Red Wings game, but you also get access to a pregame live recording of the Winged Wheel Podcast right before the game. It's going to feature us and more importantly, special guest Ken Daniels. Other special guests will be there as well. It's a great time. So you get a ticket to the game, a ticket to the live show as well. You get a special co-branded Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel podcast hat. They're limited edition. We're not allowed to sell them anywhere else. So the only way to get these hats is from this event. It's going to be a different uh, colorway from the different ones, uh, the caps that you've seen at previous events. We'll have a black one for you if you want to choose one of the old styles and the new style will be there as well. So stay tuned on what that looks like. There's going to be an opportunity to buy food and drinks. Uh, your tickets are all in Winged Wheel Podcast specific seating sections. The gondola is completely sold out, but there's still upper and lower bowl tickets. A portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which is the most important part of all of this. And your tickets have a discount built into them. So Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Link in the description to get your tickets today. Only the first 400 get these special Red Wings Winged Wheel Podcast co-branded hat. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings or a link in the description. Again, only the first 400 tickets. All right, let's start with the Red Wings here. And I know I've said this before, but January is a complete inverse of December. I don't care about process versus results. I don't care about who deserved to win what game. Detroit has taken an insane amount of points compared to what might have been predicted for them. I think they're at 19 points of a possible 24 through the month. And that is just absolutely absurd. It's even more absurd when you look at the actual NHL standings we blinked, and I think every game over the last four days has went the way of the Red Wings. You know, we were having so much fun in Grand Rapids. You know, we're paying attention to the Red Wings game uh, as much as we can before we caught up on them when we got home. And I noticed the Red Wings were in eighth, the second wild card spot. And then I had to do a double take when I noticed the five point gap between them and ninth. Yeah. When the hell did that happen? My God. Like, Tremendous. Don't get me wrong. I'm not upset at all, but that must be an incredible stretch of luck for not only the wings to take their points, every team chasing them must've had a catastrophic week. And, you know, not to say that they're out of it, but Detroit is now sitting at 57 points in 49 games. It's a 582 points percentage, and they are in a playoff spot by points percentage because behind them, the Islanders have a 531 the Penguins have a 554, the Devils have a 543, and the Capitals have a 543. After that, you drop off to 490 with Buffalo and Montreal, and I think they're out of it. Any one of the Islanders, Penguins, Devils, or Capitals could get back in it with a good run, and, and some have games in hand. So yeah, if Pittsburgh wins all three of their games in hand and, and wins all of them in regulation, then they'd pass Detroit. But this is a little bit of a buffer, and it's kind of, we, we focus so much on Toronto ahead of Detroit and Tampa Bay to see if they can claim that you know divisional seed, but... It's great news. If you can't get the room above you to work out the way you need with those games, it's great news for, at this time of year, the other wildcard contenders to start to falter. And it's another bonus for the Red Wings that the teams immediately chasing them for that spot are in the Metro because by points and points percentage, the Red Wings are ahead of third in the Metro, which is the Flyers. So right now, Pittsburgh would have a better chance of taking that playoff spot. It's... You have to win your own games, just one game at a time. You focus on improving the process and hoping the results follow. Of course, having Alex Lyon doing what he's doing helps, of course. But if you want to be where Detroit is in terms of what they can ice in terms of a roster, it was always going to be this wild card fight at best. 
And with that, you need some luck. And that's what Detroit's getting. And it's not a knock on Detroit because they're doing their part in a big way in January. But that is a really, really good stretch for Detroit there. So don't get too focused looking ahead at Toronto and and Tampa Bay, who has now remembered that they're Tampa Bay. They're 8-2-0 in their last 10. It's everyone in that wildcard mix. Great news for Detroit. Uh, they started out this little stretch here with a, a win over the Philadelphia Flyers, a 3-0 shutout for Alex Lyon, who continues to be Alex Lyon. 3-0 where Detroit had 17 shots on goal, 30 shots against. So the Flyers will be not thrilled with the fact that they couldn't beat Lyon, and Detroit should be thanking him, but they also got their goals. And what was also a chippy game, you'll take the points, hashtag just win. You continue that MO, and that seems like a very... January 2024 Detroit Red Wings game. Just win, baby. Now, the breakdown on this game, we're just, I'm just going to skip for the most part. Just win, baby. Three goals, outstanding goaltending. That's a recipe for success. (laughs) It's uh, not exactly the most sustainable recipe for success, but hey, if Alex Lyon's going to keep doing it, nobody here is complaining. Larkin scored his uh, 20th goal. It came from Lucas Raymond. It was on the rebound. So Larkin uh, is another 20-goal scorer on the season. And Mo Sider, the conversations about Mo Sider online were coming into that game. It was funny that Mo Sider scored. And he scored off of a fortunate deflection, but you'll take it. That one also from Lucas Raymond. And then Andrew Kopp scored a shorthanded goal to make it 3-0 off a great play from Michael Rasmussen, uh, protecting the puck and dogging it down low. Uh, setting up Cop in front for the shorthanded goal. Cop scored his ninth. I believe it was the intermission interview where they asked Cop, what does it mean to score? Because that was his 100th goal of his career. They said, what does that mean for you to score your 100th goal? And immediately Cop said, doesn't mean shit. I have to play better. It doesn't mean shit. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I, I think Andrew Cop's been playing better and better lately, especially in 2024. We've talked about it. He didn't have a good start to the year, and he didn't have a good really middle to the year in terms of uh, output on the ice. And it had the same energy as a while back when Michael Rasmussen, they asked him what his New Year's resolution was, and he said, play better hockey or whatever that was. Absolute same energy. And to Cop's credit, he's been producing a lot more. He's looked a lot better out there. Yeah, the I mean, the bar was pretty low from the first season and a half of his Red Wings tenure. And his game's still not without its flaws, but... He is what he is. Like the line of him, Rasmussen and Fisher, their shutdown metrics have been phenomenal. Unreal. They are a true lockdown line right now. So any offense they're producing is a bonus because they're providing value even without it. Fisher and Rasmussen are such little water bugs out there and they're such a pain in the ass to play against. Like they get down low and they make defenders' lives a living hell trying to get out of the zone. So. It's great to see that line have success and, you know, they've been contributing almost regularly now. So the Red Wings really need something like that. Calling them little is like calling my dogs a little. Oh, they're like little <laughs> water bugs in the sense of like yeah, the yeah, universe yeah. is big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ilya. <laughs> something else about that game, uh, Clean Costin dropped the gloves with Delorier, I think it was, and he's he's a tough customer, Delorier. He got a gu- couple good shots in on Costin. Costin was able to feed some back. But that was a an important example of why Costin is good for this team in terms of not getting bullied because Mo Sider laid a couple big hits that turned, one turned into a boarding penalty. I don't really know if I agree with it, but a couple hits that turned a little ugly 
it was just one of those plays where uh, I don't think the player did the best job protecting themselves. One lost his footing, and Sider was just already committing to the hit. Anyways, Philly started running around. It was Delorier, it was Hathaway, Sealer, whoever. They were looking to fight everyone. Like It was getting ridiculous out there, and having Costin as that release valve so that they could fight someone, and it wasn't you know Dylan Larkin, or they weren't going after Lucas Raymond, or whoever else, that to me is important. It was it was very old school hockey, Rock'em Sock'em, when they both willingly took their helmets off before. And oh, they, hell yeah. They took they took the two-minute unsportsmanlike minors, and they agreed to just do it. That was, I know, I, I know keeping your helmet on is safer, but the goon in me was like, oh, absolutely. Here we go. Yeah. Yes. I, I was listening to a, the details here are sparse because it's my brain, <laughs> but I was listening to some podcast. I actually don't remember which one. <laughs> and I actually don't remember who said this. <laughs> Evan, are we sure you didn't just think this? Some this dude, is what some... I'm going to, you guys are going to vet the credibility of this, but forget what I just said. Okay. They said that Kaleem Kossin is one of, if not the toughest guys in the NHL. And apparently he trains in the offseason with like, yeah. professional MMA fighters. Yeah, he does. So he doesn't look like that big strapping goon that would just pump your eyes shut. But man, he is scary. And when he grabs guys like Delorier and just kind of has his way, it's wild to see. It goes to show you how tough some people are in the NHL because Radko Gudas, for example, lit up Costin in that big hit. And I'm like, if I tried to lay that hit on someone Costin's size, I would die. You would literally die, yeah. yes. Anyhow, it, it came to be a chippy game and uh, Detroit held on 3 nothing for the win. And you think they go up against a team. I know the Flyers haven't been as hot, but the Flyers are a playoff team. They're in that divisional seed right now. And they pulled out the win against them, which is great because the next game they had was against the Vegas Golden Knights, who, again, they aren't playing as well as they were. They're missing Jack Eichel. They're looking to regain some form. That It's not like they've been doing poorly. They're second in the Pacific right now. But they also got the win against Vegas. That game was, that was a huge one. That was the one we had to go back and catch up on because we were watching the Flying Toasters that night. Uh, but Dylan Larkin scored his 21st goal of the season, and that was the 200th goal of his career. Beautiful play. Raymond had to bring it back to Larkin, who scored. Raymond immediately went and got the puck from the net, which you love to see. It almost flew by for Larkin. 200th goal, 11-game point streak. That's 11 straight games. And I think in that stretch, Larkin played some hockey, which I would say he would probably say wasn't his best hockey. A little bit, you know, undisciplined hockey with the puck or whatever. And he's on an 11-game point streak. Yeah, undisciplined hockey sometimes leads to offense. That's why I do nothing but cherry pick and beer league. <laughs> Brad trying to give me an aneurysm over here. And I do think Larkin has looked a lot better too. Whenever people are like, oh, you know, Larkin's not the superstars we had in the past. Most nights, even though we talk a lot about Mo Sider and, you know, the impact of Alex Dabrinkit coming in or if Lucas Raymond's, uh, you know, on a hot streak or whatever, Dylan Larkin is still Detroit's most important player unless Alex Lyon's doing Alex Lyon things. When people say like, oh, they're not he's not the superstar of the past, okay, name me those people. There's they say Steve Eiserman, Nick Lidstrom. It's like, okay, there's those are two of the best players to ever play the game. Like pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. Dylan Larkin has had an impressive career up to this point, and he continues to really push the naysayers who say, Oh, he's not an elite or a true number one center. He's having a phenomenal season at this point, and even though there's been some slight uh, hiccups with having the puck on his stick lately, 
I, but this point streak really reiterates it to me that he is uh, he continues to improve his game. Yeah, if your if your version of poor hockey means you're scoring twenty one goals, you're on an eleven game point streak. I'll take that as a Red Wings fan yes. for sure. Jake Wallman made it two nothing off a absolute piss missile. It was a cannon of a shot. Uh, on the left side there. I think uh, Ken called it a bullet on the broadcast, and that was accurate. That was that made him the first Red Wings defenseman, Ken said, with 10 or more goals since Mike Green in 2016-2017. He's eighth in the league for defensive scoring right now. Goals, not points. Yeah. Philip Peronik never had 10 goals. He, you have, I don't know if Phil Peronik hit the net 10 times in his <laughs> season in Detroit. He's ha- too, too busy doing finger guns because he was a sheriff. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Peronik that he... Dialed it in and can now hit the four by six in Vancouver. But yeah, there's no chance he was getting 10 goals in Detroit with his spray and pray method. Even Heronic this year has three goals with Vancouver. That is insane. He had nine with Detroit the year he got traded and didn't score in the four games he was uh, in Vancouver for the rest of that season. Five, and going backwards, five, two, and then nine the year he uh, played 65 games for Detroit in 2019, 2020. So no. That's wild. And that's it. Brad's not wrong. Heronic. The exciting part about Hronik was how hard of a shot he had, and we thought he had an office on the left side, and then immediate disappointment when he just could never corral that thing. He could never bring that in. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did he not register the hardest ever in-game shot in the NHL this year? Was it? I think it one of his three goals in Vancouver. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. He can blast that thing. Yeah. I'm surprised he hasn't split the puck in half or put it through the glass more. But, yeah, he just – Red Wings fans will remember. Hronik just – couldn't hit the net. It was so frustrating. And Wallman can, and now he has 10 goals. 10 goals. It, you know, the Mike Green comparison, I know it's not the exact same game, but you do love, like that was an exciting player to have, even if it was late in Mike Green's career, and to have Jake Wallman doing similar things, but younger in his career, that's that's a good sign. He's like, not all the way there yet, though. Evan and I were in the building for a Mike Green hat trick. That is true. You heard that, Jake. We need the hattie. Uh, the next Red Wings goal after Vegas tied it, and that Vegas tying it was happening at the same time as Belleville tying Grand Rapids, and I was like, oh, God, they're both doing it at the same time. <laughs> uh, Joe Valeno scored in front. Uh, Mo Sider made a good pass from the point on the power play. Valeno was trying to center it to Debrinket, and it, uh, the puck ended up in the net. That was Mo Sider's 100th career assist, which you're talking about milestones, and there was a lot of them. Like in this episode, we talked about Cops' 100th goal, Larkin's 200th goal, Moe's 100th career assist. I think Prashanth Iyer tweeted out that he's the seventh fastest Red Wings defenseman uh, to reach the 100 career assist mark, which was... The, the timing is all really great for a Moe Sider, in defense of Moe Sider episode. And I think that stat included veterans who came over from a trade yeah. or free agent, so it can't be many ahead of him from the start of their career. Yeah. So good on Mo there. And then in the third period, Andrew Kopp scored again his 10th goal of the season. So that's another double-digit goal score for the Red Wings. And we just got done talking about Andrew Kopp and how he has been playing a lot better. That's consecutive games with goals for him from Michael Rasmussen. But the MVP of the play was not Rasmussen and even not Kopp, even though he did a great job firing at home. The MVP was Christian Fisher. Goalie can't stop what he can't see. And now some of you might think I'm referring to a screen that Christian Fisher put down. Kind of. Absolutely not. He decided that it was a prime example of the blowing snow in Michigan and just gave uh, Logan Thompson a firsthand feel of it. And uh, 
put a good amount of snow directly into his face. The old pocket sand. (laughs) That is genuinely like one of the oldest tricks in the book. I am so surprised Vegas didn't swarm Fisher and tune him up for that one. Genuinely speaking, though, I don't think that was the intent, and I don't, and I think Vegas knew that he was. Yes, yes, he was a lot of snow. He's crashing the net for a screen or a rebound. We see that play a hundred times a game. The only thing that made that different than a normal one is the pass came across instead of just being a shot from where he was at. Because correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure Fisher was even facing that way, and then all of a sudden it's on the back door. Cops looking at a. Wide open top half of the net while Logan Thompson's trying to figure out where the hell the puck is. And then jumping to the end of the game, Dylan Larkin scored his 22nd of the season, his second of the game. And that was thanks to Mo Sider blocking a shot earlier on in that sequence. Confer and Raymond assisting on that one. And Detroit takes the game over Vegas 5-2. Alex Lyon, another win there. Alex Lyon is, I think, tied. Yeah, tied for second in the NHL in save percentage right now. He's also top 10 in goals against average. He's sitting at 8th. He's a 924 save percentage right now. He's, he's tied with Connor Hellebuck and Jeremy Swayman. It's not hard to explain the Red Wings' current hot streak despite the team's, we'll call it, whelming play Yeah. when I, you look at the goaltender. Alex Lyon is doing Alex Lyon things. You want to know who's seventh? Ilya Samsonov. Seventh for goals against average or save percentage? Save percentage. Seventh. I'm trying to think of what would be the funniest possible option. Alex Nadelkovic. It's Alex Nadelkovic. Wow. <laughs> Alex Nadelkovic has a 918 save percentage with Pittsburgh. Were we the problem all along? Well, Detroit has been the problem for goalies a lot. And you know what? Everyone knew Ned needed a change. Of, like he just wasn't mentally in the right space to utilize his talent. He, You get a fresh start. It's a reset button for goalies. The talent didn't disappear. I've said it a billion times about goalies. Their talent doesn't just disappear overnight, but that position is as much mental as it is physical. And so if if things are off where you are, there's a point where you can't repair it. So I'm, I'm happy for the guy. Good for him. But yeah, Alex Lyon has, he's continued to be the difference maker in games where Detroit has an average performance. They have a good chance of winning because of Alex Lyon. In games where Detroit has a poor performance, they have a chance of winning because of Alex Lyon. And in games where Detroit performs well in front of him, I don't want to say it's a guaranteed win, but it almost is because of Alex Lyon. Like your baseline is so high when you have a goalie playing top five, top three level in the league. Like that is, people would kill for that. And I've said this before, but GMs have to be calling Eisenman nonstop about him. And Eisenman is probably hanging up nonstop saying, why would I deal with this guy right now? He's the only reason why we were able to undo a god awful December to the point where people aren't even thinking about it anymore. Thank God the Red Wings had a really strong stretch of play in October, November, despite the goaltending. Otherwise, the decision to not play Lyon for as long as they did would be a hell of a talking point. Yeah, the fact that they were scoring to the degree they did and were playing as well as they did, like that's a good testament to that. They can still be an exceptionally good hockey team even without the goaltending, which is why we always say they have a lot of room ahead of them to improve. And they did that with... You know, Reimer, he got lucky a couple of games, but then really fell off, and Huso just really not playing well. And Lyon's doing it in, you know, every sort of end of the spectrum. He's he's playing well when the Red Wings aren't giving up a lot of shots. It's really tough for goalies to mentally stay in those games. And he's also playing extremely well when the Red Wings do give up a lot of shots, which is mentally exhausting. Yeah. So, really, he's been the shining star of, 
of the Red Wings over the past month. Lucas Raymond also had a quiet two good games since we last spoke, two assists in both of them. So he's motoring along too. It's January has been a complete 180 from December. And like we mentioned before, Detroit's firmly in a playoff position. They have one more game now before the All-Star break. And I don't want to be dramatic because they've had such a great January that no matter what the result is on paper, they still have had an unreal month. But it's against the Ottawa Senators, and I'm sorry, they need to win this one. Three days of rest going into this game as well. It's it's a statement game. Three days of rest. You have nine days off after this for the All-Star break. No, Even though Detroit has been light years better than Ottawa in terms of the standings this year, Ottawa has had their number. Detroit has struggled against Ottawa in big games previously. Detroit needs to pull out this result. They, they just can't get pumped like they have been by Ottawa. Hopefully the Toasters broke the curse. Yeah, yeah, by beating the Belleville Senators. Exactly. And as it turns out, the Belleville Senators, much <laughs> like the Ottawa Senators, giant group of piss babies. <laughs> you well, know who they, they should start, Billy Huso, on Wednesday? Yeah, t- shut out two different Senators teams in a that week. That would be funny. Yeah. Uh, that being said, absolutely the hell not. You're not taking Alex Lyon. <laughs> well, they did send Huso down for a game for a conditioning stint. He might even, he might end up getting in. We'll see. He might. I wouldn't. Speaking of players coming in, Patrick Kane is getting close. They are deciding on whether to play him on Wednesday, and he won't unless he's at 100%. Otherwise, they're just going to take advantage of the the All-Star break and, and let him fully rest up before coming back after that. So one more game before next episode. That's Wednesday, January 31st against the Ottawa Senators, and we'll be back with you on Thursday. A couple of points here, a couple of topics I want to talk about before Winged Wheel Podcast Night with the Grand Rapids Griffins. First. Mo Sider and the season he's having. We've had this conversation recently, but Sider has been looked at in the public sphere in terms of his performance on the ice. And this is a selfish conversation for me because I'm pretty passionate about it. And I want to do a preamble here by saying this isn't a distrust of any model that says a Red Wings player is bad. And this isn't saying analytics are bad unless we say they're good or anything like that. But there have been specific instances of you know, declarations that Sider's having a bad season and Lalone should play him differently. And models have him, for example, the one I'm referring to has him as at the 50th percentile of, you know, players in his position. Meanwhile, Ole Mott is sitting there in the high 90s, for example. And I see that and I say, this is why it's important to couple a good model with watching the game and building a full, complete understanding of what you're seeing. Is Mo Sider having the best season of his career? No. I think he's struggled at points this year, and I think he's done really well at points this year. Do these models, or this one, does it factor in the quality of the competition that he's playing at, which is like the hardest in the league, and the defensive zone starts he's getting and the situations he's being put in, like all of that, even if they label it as such, I just don't, I I can't get to a place where I think that's all being appreciated. Because if you watch the games, you'll understand Mo Sider's job is to keep this defense afloat in a lot of games that drowns out anything else that he can do. And yeah, you, you can play him on easier minutes if you want and more advantageous minutes and get him his power play time back. But then Detroit's going to start losing 8-2. He's, him and his partner are the only ones who can take these minutes. And so is he a 100th percentile defenseman? No, not this season. No. But is he middle of the like 50th? No, God, no. He's so much better than that. It's not even you can't, uh, criticize a Red Wings player 
We do plenty of that on this show. You just have to watch the game to know that this guy is, he has an impossible task in front of him. Evan, you see what's happening here? No, I don't. He's slowly morphing into us. <laughs> He's, he, it starts with, Screw analytics. I'm here for the eye test. <laughs> no. Soon he's going to be advocating for violence, Watson retribution. Loves when guys take their helmets off before fights, which is extremely dangerous and reckless. <laughs> have, Ryan, have you ever heard of CTE? Frankly, I'm shocked you would carry that opinion. But on the other hand, rock star shit. So I see where you're coming from. But no, we're wearing on him, Evan. The battle is being won. To your point, though, you are absolutely correct. Uh, what I would question on the model is how much they factor in role and quality of competition because I know Prashanth has been a champion of bringing up data and showing data that shows not only are Walman and Sider as a pairing getting the toughest deployment of any pair in the NHL, it's not particularly close. They are running away from second place on that one, yeah. which is a sign of two things. One, obviously, Lalonde has an exceptional amount of trust in them, which is a testament to how good they are. It's also an indictment on the rest of the decor. But Very we'll, true, both of those. Yeah, we'll, take, we'll, we'll focus on the optimistic point here. And he hasn't had too many plays this year where I'm watching it going, what the hell are you doing? Bad defensemen have those all the time. I can point out to six a game minimum every time the Red Wings bottom four touches the ice. Those aren't there. Does he blow coverage every once in a while? Yeah, every defenseman in the league does. Does he control his gap poorly at times? Yeah, every defenseman in the league does. Nobody's perfect. It's just a matter of degrees. And you can tell Cider is still Cider way more often than you are seeing any mistakes from him. And this is, I think, something that gets lost in the in the fray here. First of all, just to add on to what Brad said, I still don't think we are properly able to analytically look at and quantify what positive defensive play is. I think it's very heavily weighted towards offense. Brad wants to say right now because it's more important, but we're not going to have that fight today. I also think like this is just a, this is the risk of looking at only a player card or only numbers and making a declaration that a player is good or a player is bad. First of all, it's never so black and white. Secondly, you, you have to be putting it together as a bigger picture that you're painting, like I was referring to before. Something I think about a lot is in Jack Hughes's early career, his player cards and his analytics were terrible. Like they said he was like first percentile, second percentile, like wor- like some of the worst hockey in the league if you were to believe it. You needed to watch Jack Hughes for a little while to know that this guy was eventually going to be a star. What have we said about defensemen on this show? To be an elite defenseman, it takes a long time to get there. Ask Buffalo fans how they felt about Rasmus Dahlin at various points in his development before he is where he is now. It, it takes time. It does take time. And Mo Sider started fast. He's doing exceptionally well. And you have to remember, he's still a kid. Like, he is still so young. He has, we're not even talking about his, like, output prime. He has athletic prime ahead of him. He has physical prime. His body is still getting stronger and better and faster. And if you're a defenseman, your brain does most of the work. Red Wings fans will know that from watching Nick Lidstrom. I just can't get behind, you know, declarations that, yeah, Cider is bad this season. When you're like, he has a grown man's workload. He has a, you know, Victor Hedman in his prime years, Drew Doughty in his prime years, whoever in their prime years workload right now, and he's still a kid. Or maybe, (laughs) maybe... We take all these analytics as fact. We'll print them out, get a nice stack going, and we just accept the fact that Mo Sider's bad. So we should take all this paperwork into Steve Eisman's office 
and get Claude Lemieux in there and have that contract signed right now. Yeah, I'd like to be in that room for that Royal Rumble. Like right now, like, and just we'll sign him at that rate and then we'll re-examine where we're at in a year, okay? Yeah, the funny thing is, is like this might actually be beneficial for a contract negotiation because when you do contracts, they don't only look at point totals. It's obviously a way more complex negotiation than that. And you know for a fact, Claude Lemieux is going to be bringing up the fact that Mo Sider is, you know, playing all these tough minutes. But they're going to look at output and say, no, sorry, uh, you're not going to get paid as much as this guy who's a number one D because he has that many more points or whatever. It's going to be part of the conversation. And what the right answer is, I don't know, but they're going to have to figure it out. It's one of those scenarios where if you bolster the second pairing and third pairing, I think that will definitely unlock a lot of more of Moritz Sider's output. Yeah. If they can, you know, take one or two shifts off a period for somebody else to shoulder some of that load, that's going to be a night and day difference for how many minutes Sider and Wallman can log and sort of their offensive production that they can eventually generate. Like right now it's like, we can't put anybody else out there because if we do, we're going to lose. Well, they don't, they do that sometimes because you can't ever get a hundred percent matchups, uh, which is why we've noticed Alex Lyon a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Like when we talk about the Red Wings have room to improve, we're not even talking about this. Red Wings are scoring at an exceptional rate. It's the defense. The defense is the bulk of what they can improve on any given game team defense. Yeah. The forwards are part of it sometimes. Yeah. But even as that improves, it's like, oh, those are the two best players in the league on the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, that's going to be Mo all night. And he's going to get destroyed in the analytics because he's just doing his best to fend off McDavid and Dreisaitl all night. But hey, uh, Detroit actually held them off the score sheet for a good chunk of the game or was able to keep them at bay for a little. Like it, it's The Red Wings having an, a true, true, true number two center would go a long way as well. But well, we don't need to open that can of worms. Yeah, that is a can of worms. Speaking of centers... Just a little more on Andrew Cobb. A little bit of a redemption tour for him. He seems pissed off. He seems like he knows exactly how the season has gone for him, that it's not been to plan, to put it very, very lightly. He, I, I do think he's been playing better hockey lately. Brad, you made a good point. That Cobb-Rasmussen-Fisher line has been exceptional. Probably has him in the right role to thrive in Excel, and it's, I think it's unlocked a lot of confidence for him too. Yeah, if your defense outside of Sider and Wallman can't Defend worth a damn. It helps when you have a forward line who can really help in that department. All right. That's enough of my uh, my ranting, my indefensive Moritz Sider conversation. Again, like you're allowed to criticize Red Wings players. That's not it at all. But I, I just I think the narrative is a little lost on Moritz Sider for those who don't watch him game in and game out. And this is just to say the dude is still an unreal defenseman and undoubtedly Detroit's number one defenseman. He's not a middle-of-the-pack guy. The best part about that for you was you got animated, so you kept, like, pointing and moving your arms, and the flapping of your <laughs> sleeves was very entertaining. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I have to get my uh, Grand Rapids Flying Toasters jersey taken in. That's going to be the funniest dry-cleaning bill I'll ever have. All right, let's jump into our time with Grand Rapids. First off, Unreal City. What a place. We have been dying to do that for so long, and it has lived up to all expectations. Big shout out to all of you who gave us recommendations. Uh, Max Boltman, good friend of the show, gave us a ton of recommendations. And I need to go back just because I wasn't able to hit everywhere on the list that he gave me. Uh, Eastern Kill Distillery uh, were kind enough to provide us with some incredibly 
like dangerously good cocktails. And we brought home a couple of bottles as well. We have a bottle of uh, bourbon, a bottle of rye. So visit Eastern Kill if you haven't. People from Grand Rapids know that. If you're visiting Grand Rapids, make sure to do so. But yeah, that was a, like, never mind what happened on the ice, off the ice, phenomenal weekend. Hard to beat a place like that. You know, you never know. You've been working it up in your mind for so long. We've been talking about this trip for, we've been bullied to do this trip for years. (laughs) Yeah. And we finally do it. And not only does it meet expectations, it blew them out of the water. So let's talk about uh, what happened on the ice or even in the arena. Uh, it was an amazing working with the Grand Rapids Griffins organization. And for all of you who came out to the Grand Rapids Griffins uh, and Winged Wheel podcast night, the the whole room was full. It was amazing to see those seats full. I hope you all enjoyed the live show. We were joined by Matt Luff and Dan Watson for two individual interviews on that. And they were fantastic we've had dan on the show before so that wasn't a surprise but matt luff that was gate start i i will be honest i don't think he knew what he was getting himself into (laughs) because i'm sure when he opened that door and saw that many people he's like what the hell is going (laughs) on start so he started off with a little bit of you know hockey answers but we uh, we broke him down got him talking about jersey jerry and hole in ones and getting him into golf and he was a great guest to have. Just, uh, he no spoilers, but uh, we asked him who is who he most admires at the NHL and who he who he dislikes the most. The answer will shock you. The dislikes one definitely came out of nowhere. I had, you know, you're running through all the teams uh, that he might have played. You know, he spent a good amount of time with LA, so I'm definitely thinking someone on Anaheim or San Jose, and he spent a good chunk of the season last year with Detroit, and you know. Slavkovsky seems like an answer that could have, although he did have a pretty good answer on that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the answer was uh, not at all what I was expecting. I'll uh, I'll do my best to get that episode edited and ready for uh, just as a bonus episode for audio. We'll see how we're able to work that one out. But that was a, we had a lot of fun doing the live show and, and we hope you all uh, enjoyed it as well. But let's talk about the games. First off, we were there on Friday night. Hold on. We got to talk about the true event of the weekend. Evan's experience with $2 dogs and $2 beers. <laughs> I can't even believe I'm about to say this, but I showed restraint. It was, you know. You knew you had to fit through the arena doors the next day. Short-term gain for long-term gain. Because if I, I could have hit double digits on the hot dogs, no problem. But I was like, that's a bad idea. You will die. So I stopped myself. Evan saying this, like the whole reason he didn't do it wasn't because he wasn't already half cut walking into the arena. (laughs) The only reason I didn't put back a bunch of those dogs is because I was sitting up in the press box. I was very jealous when Evan sent that picture. Yes. We got to the front of the line and I asked, the lady asked us how many hot dogs we would want. Catherine's like, I'll have one. I was like, we'll get four. (laughs) As many as you're legally allowed to give me. Yes. Yeah, when uh, we Crystal and I went up with the family originally, we asked for four hot dogs. You know, we'll just all get one to start and then figure it out as it goes. Crystal and I ate zero of those in the first round because Hank and Mika dummied all of them. And then we went when we went back for more, gone. Yeah, no, but that's Evan's so fault. So what I was going to spend on hot dogs, I made up for in two dollar bats. So the first game that we were there, uh, right before we went to a podcast night, uh, the Griffins won three nothing. Bergen factored in on all three goals, goal assist, and then the uh, empty netter at the end. Carter Mazer got in there uh, with a goal and an assist. Marco Casper factored into Soderblom, et cetera. But the uh, the note from that game was uh, Vili Huso was down on a conditioning stint. wasn't really tested with a lot of high quality chances, but he had the shutout. 
So credit to him. I talked to him after the game, and he said that he's he was really kind of getting antsy, waiting to get get back into game shape. So I think it was important to just get him in game action. He's been kind of uh, he said he's almost getting frustrated not being able to get out on the ice as he's working to recover. Uh, <laughs> I asked him, I was like, "Well, you've had plenty of time to rest at home with uh, the wife and the baby, though," and because he obviously has a new baby, he's like, "Yeah, I, I told my wife the other day that uh, she probably shouldn't get used to me being home this much." But so he's he's looking to get back in game action soon and. We mentioned earlier that Detroit has Alex Lyon doing what he's doing now, and that's fantastic, but it'd be really great if he had the support of Vili Husso. So one, you don't wear out Alex Lyon, and two, if he tapers off, you have another strong goalie to lean on. So that was important. The second game, though, oh boy. So it was back-to-back against the Belleville Senators. Uh, the Griffins ended up winning 6-4. They were up 3 nothing at the one who? point. Right, sorry, the uh, the Flying Toasters. We're up 3 nothing at one point, and that was, they were dominating play. The barn was rocking. Oh, my God. They were playing, and I, I thought, this is a team that's learning how to really kind of come together. Dan Watson said something as much that he, he really is thinking they're coming together as a team. And when their talent is firing, like, they were dominating Pelville. But I don't think Hutchinson was having the best game, and they kind of, things got out of hand, and uh, all of a sudden it was 4-3 Belleville. And you're like, what's going to happen here? Uh, and then in the third period, the Griffins put it back together. Zarnik scored. Soderblom scored the game winner. And then Berggren scored an empty netter. It all started with Marco Casper. Dogged the puck behind the net. Did a really great job uh, killing time while Belleville had their net pulled. And they were trying to tie the game. And, and Casper was just phenomenal out there. He didn't actually factor in on the assist. But that was his credit to him. The puck stayed deep because of him. And then Berggren, who was battling with other Senators players all game. You know, I think he two-handed one guy at one point because he laid a questionable hit on him, like mouthing off. He was really going at it. Ended up banking the empty net goal in off someone and then hit the hardest selly for an empty net goal <laughs> I have ever seen. Like right in front of us too. The Van Andel arena was, the roof blew off the place. Yep. And Berggren went buck wild. I'm like, that's the most animated I've seen him in my entire life. It almost, we were talking about before the show, do, do this in Detroit, Jonathan. Like, yeah. he was beacon and chirping all game, being a, for lack of a better word, being a little asshole on the ice. Yeah. And obviously, Belleville didn't like it. They were giving him shots all game. The back and forth was obvious. He did take a bad penalty on that two-hander as part of retaliation on the play. And yeah, it got to the point where when... uh after that empty netter, when he went to run the train up the bench, one of the auto players came out and went, uh-uh, and yeah. just cross-checked him right in the middle of the ice. Yeah. And then the scrum started, and uh, people were going at it. There was, like, a little mini fight, a lot of pushing and shoving, gloves were dropped, etc. Berggren was in it, kind of went away towards the bench, came in and cross-checked someone, went back towards the bench, was apparently laughing. And at one point, one of the Ottawa players, and, and you said it correctly, Brad, they were... They're being little piss babies by that point. That was the last time playing the Flying Toasters for the season. Uh, the Griffins weren't going to face the Senators anymore, and so they were mad that they were going to lose that game and not be able to get the retribution. At one point, a player was uh, kicking away a Flying Toasters helmet. The scrum moved over for that, and how it worked out is Simon Edvinson had uh, Angus Crookshank. That's a real player. He, is he was born during the 1912 gold rush. <laughs> he looks, he's as tall as someone in the uh, 1912. He's about Brad's size compared to Simon Edvinson. They were <laughs> squared up. 
Edvinson was just holding him away like a little brother. Crookshank threw a punch, and Edvinson went, what are you doing? He threw another punch, and Edvinson went, all right. Dropped his glove, walloped him in the head a couple times, threw him to the ice, skated off, threw his glove, got the crowd pumped up. I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> what, what did they do with the Swedes? Where are the calm, <laughs> classic goons, temperamental Swedes? All Now I'm just seeing goons everywhere. They were... Again, we said Berggren was as pumped up as we've ever seen him. Edmondson, that was as pumped up as you've ever seen him. Yeah, two, at least with their time in Detroit. They've been very calm, very even-keeled, very level-headed. All of that, or I should say none of that in the game on Saturday. You'd love to see it. If and when they both get their next window of opportunity with the Red Wings, I'd love to see that translate into the game all the time that confidence they're oozing the the willingness to not back down from all the bs and keep themselves engaged in that the red wings need that sort of energy and that sort of mindset at with the team i would love to see both of them carry that through something else before i I talk more about the edmondson thing in that game albert johansson man like that Backhand nice. goal that he had to protect the puck. Even as a player overall, like we were saying, I was talking to Bob Kazer and Larry Figurski, which shout out to them. They were uh, excellent to to meet in person and work with. They had us on uh, during the intermission as well, which was fantastic to do. No edit button, so that was a little bit nerve-wracking, but we made it through it. But, uh, you know, the Red Wings defensive core is crowded, so we're not really talking about Albert Johansson a lot, but he's a guy who's, I still think, poised to make that team. Yeah, he was solid. Outside of the goal, I wouldn't say he made a ton of plays that really stood out. And even on that goal, let's be honest, an NHL goalie probably stops that. But uh, I'm giving at, him the credit, man, if he's going to fend off the defense oh, like that. At, yeah, everything he did to get in position to take that backhand was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a great sight to see. Grand Rapids' defense as a whole was very, very impressive, the entire unit. So that's a phenomenal sign. Like, outside of Satter Wallman, you can make arguments that if you just, you know, Swap the Red Wings to the Griffins. It wouldn't be that much of a drop off, but so at least cheaper, if nothing else. On Edvinson's fight, a funny little story here is that uh, I had actually come down from the press box. They were asking who, you know, what players uh, there were any interviews for after the game. And I just said, you know, who's on the list? And there was no one there because there weren't really any other press uh, there that game to cover. And I went, I'm not going to be the guy to pull these guys in extend their weekends. They just are playing it back to back. I'm like, we just had Luff and uh, Watson on the live show. We have more interviews coming up uh, with some guys here. So I was like, I don't really want to, whatever. It's okay. We don't need to talk to him. And then the fight happened and I sprinted back upstairs. I went, we need to talk to Simon. (laughs) (laughs) You go to the room and Simon was there waiting for it. Like, Grin on his face laughing because he <laughs> knew what happened there. And man, when I tell you, Berggren was dancing around like a little shit disturber, just chanting, Rocky, Rocky. <laughs> There's a clip of it too. Like that, it was, it's not in the dressing room. It's in this like outer area before the dressing room that the guys actually go to. And he's making Edvinson laugh. And I asked Edvinson about, you know, a physical aspect to his game. Is it something he wants to leverage a little bit more, even though he's not that kind of player? And Berggren's like, oh yeah, right. And then it kept chanting Rocky and stuff. <laughs> I love it. It was so funny. Edmondson had a blast with it, too. He was like, yeah, the guy wanted to go, so I guess it's my first career fight. So That's crazy to me that that's his first career fight for a guy. He didn't look out of place at all. No, no. Just tell him next time, drop both gloves. Yeah. (laughs) 
we're getting there. Uh, anyhow, other takeaways from from Grand Rapids watching those games live, uh, the players, any sightings, anyone who um, you were really keen on seeing, any opinions you took away from that? I owe a huge apology to Marco Casper. Damn it, that was mine. He was phenomenal. He didn't show up, and I guess maybe this is kind of the microcosm of Marco Casper. He didn't show up on the score sheet a ton in those two games, but damn was he effective all over the ice. Transporting the puck, off the cycle, puck battles, you know, defensive awareness. There was no holes in his game, and he was, the skill was noticeable. You could see him making plays. You could see him making skill plays. You could see him consistently generate offense. Now, is this, uh, maybe he doesn't have the hockey IQ to take it all the way a bunch. Maybe did some bounces just not go his way? Absolutely. But he was very, very noticeable in both games. Yeah, he's he's started to figure it out. Like the counting stats are starting to come. I think he was AHL player of the week last week. So it's it's great to see and and not to spoil too much, but Dan Watson was talking about how he's the hardest working guy on the team and yeah, he, he's got to basically peel him off the ice after practice because he just won't stop working on his game. So I probably have had the biggest change in opinion on a player that I've had in a long time on Marco Casper now that I've seen him and I'm not kind of just, you know, watching highlights and looking at counting stats. I am was very, very impressed by Marco Casper in his game. Even that play on the empty net, like in my opinion, you way undersold that. That puck was behind the goal line. And it was him versus three or four guys. Forever. Like that was a substantial amount of time that he was down there pinning the puck, killing time, down low, and then eventually led to the goal. I'm actually surprised he didn't get an assist on it. Uh, I guess the Sens player must have just tapped it before Berggren picked it up. But that that was like Darren Helm-esque, the shift. Yeah, yeah, just, it was. It's not hard to see why they liked his game a lot. And Casper yeah. leading up to that draft, like he was a prototypical Red Wing. And when the rumors started coming up about who's interested in who, it was, yeah, Casper is a prototypical Red Wing who's going to be a pick by them too. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you see it. You hope the offense comes a little more regularly and a little more, you know, naturally. He's still so young too, right? Like he, he's got a lot of time to develop that to find the productivity and the the consistency on the score sheet. So uh, this weekend's turned me into a believer again. Yeah, it was, there's something about seeing the way that team has come together over the course of the Grand Rapids season. And again, Dan talked about that. That's part of the AHL experience. And I know we wanted Casper to be the guy to kind of make some noise this off season and coming into training camp for the Red Wings. But if he needed that runway to kind of find that consistency at the pro level, it's looking good for what he can do in Detroit in terms of having being a, a high impact player. A hundred percent. Mazer was also very noticeable. You yeah. you can see why people think he's going to fill that you know role that let's say like Bertuzzi filled for a while. Mm-hmm. He's not quick. Don't tell Carter Mazer that. No. Yeah. You're... Yeah. He's a uh, he's not slow, but he he's not. A burner, but you can see when the puck's on his stick in the ozone, he finds the seams, he finds the gaps, whether that's with his body, with a pass, with a shot, that he made very few incorrect decisions with the puck on his stick. He looked like a pro. Yeah, he really does. You know how we always say hockey IQ is the be all end all? There's no question Carter Mazer, that's his biggest skill. All right. That was uh, Grand Rapids. 
Flying Toasters, Grand Rapids Griffins, Winged Wheel Podcast Night in Grand Rapids. We can't wait to come back and do it again. Lots more to say about them, but for now, let's jump into some NHL news. Uh, we're going to probably just hit one or two points here, but speaking of hits, Brendan Gallagher and his high hit on Pellick came across the middle of the ice, aimed at the head, elbow hit the head, extended up. Like that was to me a textbook targeting the head, impact of the head. Pellick, who has a concussion history, just came back from one, I believe. Nailed him. And I saw that. I went, that's about as clear as it gets. That's I've as- never, the internet has never been so united in a single thing in its life. And for those who don't know the rules, if the Department of Player Safety offers you an in-person hearing, it doesn't matter whether or not you intend in person. If they offer you an in-person hearing, you can be suspended for more than five games. If it's a phone or virtual hearing, then you are limited to a five-game maximum. That's just generally how it goes. And we were all expecting in-person hearing. And then at that point, it could be any suspension. You don't know how it's going to go. But I saw that hit. And I went, oh, that's a bad one. I'm not talking 20 games. I think it probably should be considering that it was intentional and it was malicious. But a lot of people are talking there could be two digits involved in the suspension. Then they don't offer him an in-person hearing. And everyone acted calm and civilized from that moment forward. Just like... Again, the the first point here is you can't be surprised is the Department of Player Safety just terrible decisions through it, and through. It's the it was a it was an empty net goal st- standing at the hash marks. Hundred percent. They suspended him for five games in the end, so they gave him the most they could without offering him an in person hearing. But that was just like how do you not punish that more severely? This is the one where. You, you almost look at this literally, the Department of Player Safety. This is as blatant of an attempt to injure as we have seen in a very, very long time. Doesn't have the puck, doesn't think anything's coming, goes out of his way to elbow him in the head at high speed. Textbook. Uh, like, if you were going to ever show a clip to future generations of this is how we explain attempt to injure. You show them that clip. Five games is comical. I would have showed them the David Perron clip. What David Perron did was bad and he deserved the suspension. And I think there were comparables that maybe he could argue he deserved four instead of six, but it was a suspendable play. We all, you guys have heard our opinions varied though they might be on it but they generally land in. You can understand why Perron felt he had to do something there. Larkin had been targeted in the past, whatever. Perron did something bad, got the right suspension for it. Give or take. Why is it that Gallagher, were they going to talk about the amount of strides again? Are they going to give me a whole novella on the amount of strides that he took before he did this again? Like it was malicious. It was malicious. He elbow extended upwards. He tried to hurt him and he did. Uh, on 32 Thoughts podcast today, Elliot was trying to explain it and, and bless his heart. One of the points he brought up was because it was five games, it's not, it has something to do with it's not subject to a, an appeal to an arbitrator. Bettman's the only one who's eligible to appeal five or less. It's not like he'd get an answer within a calendar year anyway. Yeah, which right. by the way, Perron still, still isn't settled and he's been back for what, a month now? But that may have factored into the decision. Like he just didn't want to deal with the appeal. Like, which to me is, if that's true, the most cowardly chicken shit reason I've ever seen in my life for making a decision like that. I don't know. 
I I genuinely am at a loss at this point why they do anything they do. And nobody's surprised, you know, the age old joke of just spin the wheel. And Elliot tried explaining, you know, he picked a couple other comparables this year where, you know, it was four games here, five games there. And, you know, on one hand, I go, the numbers, those add up. The only problem here is this one's much worse. If you have to game the way you offer suspensions because the way your rules are set up, your rules are stupid and figure out a better way to do it. I just can't buy into the fact that they were trying to preserve a five game. Give them more. Like, give them that's a 10. The, that's the whole, you know, if if the Depo- Department of Player Safety wants to take a political approach to this, give them 10 games. Then people don't hate you. And then let the player appeal. Gary Bevan says, yeah, 10's good. I stand with these guys. Then it goes to the independent arbitrator. They say, no, that's a five based on all this precedence. Then it, you know, washes the the NHL and the, the the Department of Player Safety from having any blame to this. They're like, well, we thought it was a 10-game suspension. Independent arbitrator said no. Be mad at them. It's so counterintuitive. But the Department of Player Safety. They're like, no, we'll be the hated ones. Even in their, even if you have the most big brain explanation to this, which isn't just they're terrible at their jobs. George Peros is terrible at his job. At the end of the day, they are still creating results that end in worse player safety. It is, like you mentioned, Evan, it was the most unanimous we've seen the hockey discourse in a long time. The Vancouver Canucks shiny blue helmets were more divisive than this. It's the most unanimous discourse has been in hockey for a long time. Everyone can agree that elbows to the head don't have a place in the game. This would have been a dirty hit years ago too. Put the hammer down on this one. Uh, it's Brendan Gallagher. It's not Connor McDavid. What are you doing? I, I. It is just the NHL is so content with having a terrible Department of Player Safety. That's a hit. Like that's a hit that's going to end up in a lawsuit against the league, and you know the never-ending lawsuits against the league for CTE and hits to the head and whatever. Like that one's going to be played in court. It's so stupid. It's such a needless play. And people are going to say, oh, a five-game suspension is significant and he won't do it again. Uh, in my mind, not significant enough. Based on how I've seen other things penalized and suspended, like that one was bad. It says that one is as bad as it gets. I, I, I struggle to find any silver lining in that play to excuse Gallagher's hit there. That, I that's no why I don't get why they don't just make the suspensions longer. They, they make themselves look like the good guys. And then if an independent arbitrator thinks otherwise, then... They, they're out of the blame game. I get that the NHLPA has a like union-based prerogative to minimize suspensions because all you're doing is minimize loss of salary, and that's always going to be their focus. But there's going to be a point where their players are going to say, hey, at some point you have to protect us. You do. I get that the, the money is going to be more of an incentive than anything else until they reach a breaking point. But there's no way that you have star players in the league looking at that play and thinking, yeah, I think that Gallagher getting five games is just fine. Well, like every major sporting league, the best players have to be the ones who wave the biggest stick. If they want the Olympics and they want these sorts of things to change, the highest paid players, the most influential, have to be the most influential. Drives me nuts, man. It's wild. It literally is wild. I... I didn't even bother commenting a lot on that one because I'm like, I'm so certain that that's bad enough where there's going to be no way they mess us up. And as usual, I'm an idiot and was proven wrong. 
So at least that's normal. Speaking of Vancouver's helmets, yeah or no to the uh, metallic blue helmets? Same thoughts that I have with Vegas and LA. I really, truly love and appreciate the fact that they're trying something cool. Not for me, though. Oh, man, I love it. I'm a flying toaster guy, so <laughs> bring me all the craziness. I get that some of them don't work. Like, for example, uh, Vegas's home jerseys, I get why it's better for them to be shiny gold. And, you know, they won the cup wearing that, and that's more impactful for Vegas's identity. I do think their previous darks look better. What if the Red Wings wore a shiny red helmet? I would love a, metal- a deep red metallic helmet. Love that. Okay, that's one. Brad. No. Oh, uh, uh, I will say Vancouver's is the best of the bunch so far, but it's still not. I just, here's what I'll say. I like the shiny blue more than I like their matte black helmets. Wow. I actually, that, I like the the, the matte black helmets a lot. I think they're both great. Looks like the finish got like, (laughs) like ruined on them. It looks weird to me. It doesn't look bad. It looks like it's incomplete. You know what I don't like are the raised. I thought I liked them at first, but I don't. Is the raised badges on the helmet? Like Carolina had them, and they kept popping off. Oh, I didn't even notice that. They. I don't know if they still do it, but I know they tried it for a little bit there. And as I think l- they might have had a problem with everything coming off. As long as they're not doing what Pittsburgh and Philly tried with the <laughs> the images on the helmet in the outdoor game. Remember those things where the team logo was like the entire length of it. Oh helmet? yeah, it was weird. Those were horrible. I'm at the end of the day, whatever you think about it, I do think it's cool that Vancouver is trying stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I appreciate the effort, even if it's not for me. Yeah. And then just fitting this in here, there's going to be more conversation about this in coming episodes, especially as we head into the all-star break, but we are now getting the steady stream of trade deadline rumors and things as we're not too far away from it. And, uh, Vitrano and Chikrin were reported as players that the Red Wings may be interested in. What that boils down to is good players on the market, Detroit asking about them, uh, like, Yes, that makes a lot of sense. You've had even some small conversations already about Chikrin on this podcast, and we're going to cover those in depth as they come up, but that those, they're just not surprising. Yeah, no, it makes sense from what Detroit needs standpoint, but the contract situations uh, don't. All right, let's jump into overtime here. Overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. if you want to support the show. That's how we run Winged Wheel Podcast nights at the LCA and with the Grand Rapids Griffins. It's how we support the Jamie Daniels Foundation. It's how we produce shows like Expected by Whom, hosted by Prashant Iyer and Sean Shapiro, and lots more. You get benefits like access to our Winged Wheel Podcast exclusive Discord community. You're also automatically entered into all of our giveaways. For example, we're giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, the vast, vast majority going directly to our Patreon supporters. Additionally, you get access to our overtime bonus episodes, which record right after these main ones. They're a good time where we let loose, have fun, uh, and just kind of we try less. And I think the, the content's actually better, believe it or not. Uh, again, patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the Dub Dub Club. Let's take some questions from our patrons. Youper in the D says, congrats on a great Winged Wheel podcast weekend at Van Andel. Sounds like you had a great event. Some of us had to stay behind and take care of the LCA while we beat the Knights, so you're welcome. If you haven't already covered this, how do you think we're set for Ottawa? Do you think Baby Kachuk will be as annoying as he has been in the past, and is Ottawa a good opportunity to put Kane in for the first time after an injury, or should we avoid feeding him to the Senators? Believe it when I say Brady Kachuk is going to be at all-time high for antics against Detroit. This is a rivalry now, and he is going to be turned to 11. Yeah, the Senators aren't a super physical team. They're a bunch of piss babies. So if you're worried about them running Patrick Kane through the end boards, that's not what they do. That is not the Ottawa Senators. They are 
a bunch of, you know, they'll, they'll run around and be pests and, and nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong, but they're not the super physical team they pretend to be. I don't know, man. They have Detroit's number in that respect. Oh, they, they're they... a better team against Detroit the last couple of years. They've been winning the games, but in terms of physical battle, eh, they, they, they're, they're not that guy, pal. Dead Aim says beating the defending champs with one of the better overall games played this year is huge. If they also beat Ottawa and go into the break still on a heater, what percentage do you guys give them to make the playoffs now? I might be tempting fate by saying this, but I am actively ignoring mid-April plans at the moment. I saw, I forget which model it was, had the Red Wings as of today at 52%. I believe that's uh, Micah McCurdy's, the Hockey Viz model. It's over 50%. I'm going with that one. I'll be in the Masters in mid-April, so do with that information as you feel <laughs> is required. Well, then they're definitely going to make it because the only important things happen during the Masters schedule. That is true. Yeah, I after the January they've had, like again, a lot of this is hinging on things that could change, but the Red Wings have also been getting results even when they could be better. So I, I, I don't the vibe I have is good right now. Connor Murphy says, will Dylan Larkin, one, retire as a Red Wing, Two, play more than 1,000 games, and three, score more than 1,000 points in his career. Ooh, that's a good question. For one, I do think he he has retires Red Wing written all over him to me. Yeah, he's locked up until he's, what, 35? So I'll hedge and say yes on that one. I'll say, what was the second one? I know the 1,000 games, I'll say yes. 1,000 points, uh, that might be a bit optimistic. He has 483 through 627 games. I think I agree with you. I think yes, yes, no. Although, you never know how he might uh, expand his scoring if the Red Wings become a much more talented team up top. Schmidt Tino says, Hey guys, given how somehow the Wings have the sixth best offense in the league and we're still well in the playoff race, I do wonder, or better phrase, my take is the following, in a world where Augustine, Cosa, Edmondson, Mazur, slash Lombardi... Danielson and Sandine Pelica, we can even talk Casper and Berggren, turn out to be what they think we think they can be. We still need a top defender and two more elite scorers so we can say, yeah, this might be the team. I know a lot of ifs and whens in there, but in theory, the pieces might already be in place. What are your thoughts? Well, I think you kind of answered your own question and came to a different conclusion. You said they need another top D and a couple more top scorers, which I agree with. So this is not the group. This is a good group. This is a very, very good start. And there's a whole lot of pieces that are solving a whole lot of problems. But yeah, there's still one to two big pieces away, in my opinion. So if you want to call this the foundation, yeah, this should work. But that's with a really damn big couple of ifs there. That's a lot of things to go right. Yeah. I just... I'm even understanding like the one thing I probably should have specified all those prospects aren't going to pan out. It is not going to happen, No, but they have so many of them that even if we're talking half of that group, we're probably still okay. Stay fresh. Cheesebag says, I sure wish I could have been in Grand Rapids this weekend. Glad everyone had a great time. Please expound upon our actual golden boy, the behemoth himself, the great gigantic Elmer Soderblom. Did you see enough to say he'll be an NHL regular? Stay fresh. Cheesebags. He scored a huge goal in the second game, but otherwise I actually came away largely unimpressed with his weekend. There, I agree. I think he got better in the second game. I, I think he had spurts of where I was like, that's what you need to see from him all the time. He also got knocked off the puck a lot. For a guy his size, man, that can't happen. We we harped on Rasmussen for years about that till he figured it out. And his game changed as soon as he figured it out. 
Soderblom's got a lot of the same problems in his game that Rasmussen did in the early years. He's got to figure it out. There's a there's a play where the Griffins were all basically all circling back for a breakout, and at no point did Soderblom come off the other opposing blue line, basically waiting to break in. That's fine enough if that's a set player. He was trying to hide like that works from time to time. If your coach tells you to do it, you do it. But then the puck came his way on the entry, and he was just completely flat. Did not anticipate the play, did not read the play, was late behind the puck. The zone entry failed because of him, and that was just a microcosm of, I don't think he's doing enough to overcome any you know skating or physical deficiencies that he has, which he shouldn't really have, especially the physical ones. And he's not, like, he is not doing himself a lot of favors thinking the game, the physical parts of the game, he had spurts where you saw the Soderblom that was on the Red Wings, but yeah, I, I'm i becoming less and less confident that he's an everyday NHLer. It's not the end of the line for him by any means. He could turn things around, but he is lower than a lot of guys on the Red Wings prospect depth chart in terms of he should come up next, you know, which was unfortunate. He was a guy that he earned a spot when the Red Wings weren't really prepared to give him one to start the season a little while back, and then... I don't know. He got injured. It was never able to get back on track and it goes to show how fickle of a game being a prospect in the NHL is. Anyhow, uh, let's wrap up this episode of the wing wheel podcast. We're going to be back with you on Thursday uh, to wrap up the Ottawa game and head into the all-star break. And then over the all-star break, we have a couple of really exciting interviews to, uh, to release to you, which we're recording over the next couple of days. I uh, can't wait for you all to hear that. And then if, uh, if we get around to it, we'll edit the, bonus episode which is grand rapids griffins uh, wing wheel podcast night that live show featuring dan watson and matt luff but for now let's wrap up this episode thank you all so very much for supporting the wing wheel podcast if you're a new listener welcome to the show and if you're a listener of old uh, it's a fun time to be a red wings fan to all of our patrons we could not do this without you especially our name level supporters on patreon arjun shanker eves bartels on behalf of the sarah grand foundation Akefer, samuel soderholm icon brad's lord and savior bradley cleveland Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, C-Line, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. at the Cheesebag Navy, Brad Shin Extension Baggins, Carl Brutena Nanoluski, Carl Provi, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Craig Kibble, Daddy Bettman Bucks, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Drop the Gloves, Eric Shun, God Creatives, Give Blood to Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Jonathan Miller, Kaylin Wood, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K. Cannon Fodder to the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red Feather Desert Dogs, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, Sprong 88 the Best, That's What I Appreciates About You, Wellman's Elite Dancing D, Wing Commander DeBrinkett, who's a new name level supporter, welcome to the Dub Dub Club, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, A.B., Adam Rose, Axel, Sandy Pelica, Bellingham Acid Balls, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron, the Cheeseback Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss Snip Show, Derek James, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Les Grossman's Ungodly Firestorm, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia. Reed, Steven, the Hodag, the Mexinadian, the Hat123, these toasters are unreal. Winging it in San Diego, ex formerly AA Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. Go Red Wings and go Flying Toasters. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.